So, Book of Acts, and if you are using one of the uh, Bibles on the ends of the row, that would be page, let's see if my memory serves me correctly, 834, because we're going to be in Acts 6, 834. And um, in this series, and specifically last week, we've been talking about the mission of what God is up to. And what I understand is this, we are called to live out the mission of God, whether it's in a developing country like we see on screen, uh, where Billy and the team are, or whether it's a metropolitan city like the one that we live in, or whether it's your own neighborhood, or whether it's a boardroom, we are called to live out the mission of God. And, believe, and here's the thing, we believe we are called to join God in his mission to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. And hear me on this. This might get a little personal today for you. I believe you are called to a mission. I believe that you are called to share the gospel. And that can be and is very intimidating. So I don't want to get up here and give you this whole push towards we got to share the gospel, go share the gospel. It's not easy. It's intimidating. It's difficult. So what could that and what should that look like for you and I where we are in this city, in this community? So see, I grew up in a small town in Fountain Inn, South Carolina. That is not a hotel. It is the name of a town. Now, it was really interesting the first time my wife, when we were dating, that she was going to visit my family, and she sends her mother an email that says, because there was no texting then, um, to send an email to her mother to say, I'm going with Dustin this weekend to Fountain Inn. Uh, her mom was a little like, what, what, where is she going? What is happening? That's where I grew up. In this small town uh, where I grew up, and I was there, this, we were there this past weekend, my dad was in construction. He owned a small construction company. They built uh, like small commercial buildings, but mostly custom, small custom homes just around our town and in, in, up into Greenville, South Carolina. And when I was a kid, there was nothing greater than going to work with my dad. I loved it. Loved it. Because especially when I was really little and I couldn't really do anything, so it was just fun. Like, I mean, there is nothing greater for a boy than to go to a construction site and just do whatever you want. But I, I loved going to these construction sites with my dad. But as I got older, the responsibility started coming, and my dad said, you're going to work now, son. So I think it was child labor laws, but we broke those because I was like 12, uh, working full-time in the summer for my father. And so you got to imagine, here's my dad, a lot of, a lot of blue-collar guys out there, and been working hard all summer, and my dad then, towards the end of the summer, because what I was was a glorified gopher, right? It was, go get some 16-penny nails, go get a two-by-four, go get this. I would just go get stuff for the guys, bring it back to them, and that's, that's pretty much what I did. And then, towards the end of the summer, my dad brings the whole crew together early one morning and says, hey guys, today, Dustin joins the crew, and I thought to myself, what have I been doing all summer? <laughs> uh, and my dad brings me before all these guys, and he pulls out from behind a brand new hammer, because I wasn't allowed to have one before that point. And he hands me this hammer in front of all these guys, which in the South is kind of like being knighted, right? It's like, 
<laughs> it's like, here's your hammer, boy. And so he hands me my hammer. I grab this hammer, and I think, yeah, like I'm in. And he says, well, get to it. There was a chalk line laid, and we were putting down subfloor, and he's like, let's go. And I'm thinking, aren't all these guys going to go? And they just kind of stood back like, well, let's watch this. So I get down, and I take the nail, hold it there. My hand's shaking. I swing the hammer. Now, a lot of you might not know me that well. I'm all or what? Nothing. I was all in that moment. Like all in, hammer's back here. I'm going for it as hard as I can. Now, do you think I hit or missed the nail? Missed. Okay, you were very confident over here. That's Gina. She's in our small group. Gina said missed uh, really loudly. Thank you, Gina. Always picking towards me. That's fine. Uh, uh, you're right. I did. I totally missed. And I hit the subfloor. I'm glad it was subfloor, not a finish, because I bruised the floor, and I'm sitting there thinking. I look around. I'm totally embarrassed. Oh, and this is ridiculous. I'm awful. I should quit. This is my dad's company. I'm definitely not going to inherit this. Uh, just going to move on. But in my embarrassment, I'm like, I'm going at it again. So I finally, I mean, back here, swing as hard as I can. Now, I'm not going to ask you, Gina, if I hit or missed the nail, because I know what you think. This time, contact is made with my thumb. And now my thumb has a pulse in it, which is not normal, I don't think. And tears are welling up in my eyes. My thumb is pulsating. I'm holding back the tears because I don't want to be embarrassing for all these. It's embarrassing. And I'm thinking, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. This was a lot harder than it looked. So then I'm fine. I'm like, I'm going to swing again. At this point, my thumb's broken. It doesn't matter. Let's just go for the hand. So I swing as hard as I can. This time, I actually make contact with the nail. Third time's a charm. Not really. Because the nail then did one of those things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Been there, done that? And then you're over here going... And all these people look at me, I'm just like, all right, let's straighten this sucker out. And I'm over here, and it's like, I think it's straight. And I was done. This is frustrating. I can't do it. And then I look back, and here's my dad, who's like the master carpenter. He steps down right beside me, and he puts his hand on top of my hand, and he looks at me in the eyes, and he says, we can do this. And I think to myself, no, we can't. I don't know if you've been watching, Dad, but we can't do this. And he puts his hand on my hand. And I thought, all right, here we go. And we swing together. And amazingly, we hit the nail perfectly. And then, bam, bam, bam. And the nail goes down like it's supposed to. And then we go to the next nail. Bam, bam. Bam, and the nail goes down, and the next nail, and the next nail. And I'm all the way down the chalk line now, and I'm working my way back down the next one. And I'm thinking to myself at this moment, looking around at these guys, like, I'm going to run this place soon. Like, I'm basically in charge now. Like, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but I'm a dang carpenter. Like, I'm, in, I'm, I'm amazing. And then I got to the end of the line, and I realized, you know what? My dad's hand is still where? Right on top of my hand. He's doing the work. He's doing the heavy lifting. He's making it happen. He's hitting it accurately. All I had to do to get a little bit of credit, it seemed, was put my hand on the hammer. And so when I think about this grand task of joining God in the mission, and I think this is intimidating. I can't do this. This is embarrassing. I'm going to say something stupid to this person that's my neighbor when I'm sharing the gospel. This is difficult. I think God looks at us and he's like, just pick up the hammer. I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll do the work. I'll make it accurate. 
It's going to work with our dad. Like, this isn't a mission that God's not already on. This is a mission he's on that he is inviting us to join him in. This is go to work with your dad day. I don't know if anybody remembers that idea, but this is go to work with our dad. And he's looking at us saying, (laughs) crediting us with something we should never be credited with, but kind of this idea of we can do this. And it's like, thanks, Lord, appreciate that, but it's you. But I'm going to put my hand on the hammer and go to work with you. This, this is the mission, to proclaim the gospel. Though it is intimidating to share the gospel, the pressure's off. We're going to work with our dad. So with that picture in mind, I want to pray for us, and then we're just going to dig into Acts 6 through 9. Father, I pray as we open your word, I pray as we dig in, Would you show us what it looks like to join you in the mission that you are already on? Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you do the heavy lifting? But God, help us to do our part, whatever that may look like. The relationships that we need to build, the people we need to talk to. Allow us to know we're at work with you so we can be bold and the pressure is off. Help us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So the book of Acts, I want to give it to you best I can in one sentence. The book of Acts in one sentence. The gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power who listen, offer, proclaim, and suffer. Say it again. The gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power who listen, offer, proclaim, and suffer. So so to a certain extent, if you look through the book of Acts and you look at some of the stories we've already gone through in this series and the ones that we will go through, every story in Acts, this sentence really kind of exists. The four actions that you see in that sentence are ever present throughout the book of Acts. Gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power who listen, offer, proclaim, and suffer. And so specifically this morning, I have been tasked with knocking out, Billy's not here, very unfair on his part, he did Acts 4 last week. I have the task of going after Acts 6 through 9. That's a ton. Like This seems like an impossible task. This is like going to Avalon on a Friday trying to find a parking spot. Like, I don't, it's like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to keep going. So I'm going to do my best. My daughter's got a lacrosse game at one, so you're in luck on that part. i got to get out of here by one. And if you're worried about that, we'll see how this goes. All right. So Acts 6 through 9. What I want to do is I want to give you an overview. And this is how we're going to actually get through it, okay? I want to give you an overview of the three primary stories. There's three primary stories in these chapters and how they exude these four actions of listening, offering, proclaiming, and suffering. And then we're going to take one of those three stories, and we're going to just dig a little deeper into it. So three separate stories highlighted by three ordinary people. First person that we'll see here in a minute is a guy named Stephen. You'll see that in Acts 6 and 7. And then we'll look at Ananias, different Ananias, 
that you'll see earlier in Acts, Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Then we're going to jump back and look at Philip, who you'll see in Acts 8. So Stephen, Ananias, and Philip, those are our three stories. I want to give a quick overview of those separate stories. But please notice as I give you an overview, the four actions from the one sentence and how they consistently show up. So Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, was a man who was a part of the first ever local church. He was chosen to be a servant leader in this church. So Stephen listened to God and began serving faithfully. And then God, the Holy Spirit, began using Stephen, and you can see this in um, chapter 6, verse 8, in very powerful ways. God, the Holy Spirit, using him in powerful ways. But there were many people who did not like that the gospel, this good news, was spreading. They didn't like it. They didn't like that it was spreading through others, and they didn't like that it was spreading through Stephen. So they seized Stephen, and they began to question him. And then we see Stephen offering what he had, which ultimately was himself and the truth of the gospel. And so you get to chapter 7. Do you know what Stephen does? He preaches this incredible sermon. The whole chapter 7 is him preaching a sermon to all of these people. And somehow he miraculously, I don't know, like Billy and I need to take notes on this. He preaches the whole Bible in that chapter. Like you go through and read it. I tell you to read it later tonight. Just look and read that sermon in chapter 7. He preaches the whole Bible. Going from Old Testament to Jesus. Proclaiming the truth of God. And he suffered. What did he suffer from? He suffered for listening, for offering himself, and for proclaiming. And in the last verses of chapter 7, he suffered deeply. He was stoned, and ultimately that led to his death. The Bible tells us that, and I love this, and I wish we had time to do a whole sermon on it, but we don't, that God ultimately stood in ovation for the faithfulness of Stephen. And then if you look at chapter 8, look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all, what? Scattered. So their suffering led to their scattering. But God in his grand sovereignty... Their scattering led to the gospel being what? Spread. And also in Acts 8, the beginning of verse 1, we are introduced to an interesting character of the Bible. His name is Saul, later known as Paul. Do you know why Saul is there? He was there to approve the stoning death of Stephen. And from that point, do you know what he did? His like, life goal was to destroy the church, to destroy the spread of the gospel, to destroy Christians. His, what he was doing was trying to stop the spread of the gospel through ordinary people with extraordinary power who were listening, offering, proclaiming, and suffering. And so this takes us to our second story. We have the story of Stephen, but now we have the story of Ananias. We find this in Nine. So Saul was destroying the church, but while on a journey to Damascus, what does God do? 
he blinds Saul. God shows up on the road, blinds him, confronts Saul with the truth of the gospel. And then meanwhile, we get focused on that, and that's a big deal. God tells a man named Ananias to go to a specific street. He literally tells him the name of the street to meet a man named Saul. And to meet Saul and to pray for him so that he can regain his sight. Now, what does Ananias do? He listens to the Lord, but he has great fear. He has great fear to go to Saul because what's Saul been doing? Murdering Christians. Like if somebody tells me today, hey, I have a destination, specific country, Middle East, here's where it is, Christians are dying, I need you to go there. There's actually a terrorist there who is responsible for murdering a lot of Christians, that's his goal in life, and I need you to go and pray with him so he can see again. Like how many of you are going, how do I get a visa, I'm ready to go? Like, don't miss Ananias, this is a pretty big deal. But what is he doing? He's listening. He's offering. And then when he gets there, what does he do? He proclaims the gospel to a terrorist. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon this man named Saul. And not only does he gain his sight physically, but he gains his sight spiritually and becomes a follower of Jesus. So we have the story of Stephen who's listening, offering, proclaiming, and suffering. And now we have Ananias doing the same thing. But, but go back to chapter 8. We're going to hit our third story here. We're going to dig in a little bit for a few minutes on this one. Let's pick up the third story, which is Philip. So Philip's our third in verse 26. And we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper. We're going to get a little bit practical, all right? Everybody good? Everybody doing okay? All right, y'all like the Bible? Because we're going to do a lot of it. All right, verse 26, here we go. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So let's stop there for a second. Philip is the main character that we see, the primary character in Acts 8. He was a part of those who had been scattered. He had been kicked out of Jerusalem, out of his hometown, if you will. He's experiencing suffering. And know this, Philip in his old self, his before Christ self would have never talked to the man he's about to talk to. He would have never shared the gospel in his old self with the man that he's about to talk to. Because this man was not Jewish, and at that point, he would have never, before Christ, would have not shared any kind of truth with this man. But yet, that's exactly what happens. Because what was Philip doing in this moment? Listening. So let me give you the kind of four acts to the spread of the gospel. Number one, listen. Number one, listen. Philip heard from the Lord, and in this case, through an angel, Philip was, but here's the thing, Philip was in tune. He was in tune with God, the Holy Spirit. So when you go back to our one sentence, I want to read it, and then I want to highlight something. It says, the gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power who listen Offer, proclaim, and suffer. Extraordinary power. Where does that come from? What does this power come from from Philip? 
Like, is he just like work out a lot? <laughs> like, where, where does this power come from? Like, is Philip and his buddies like doing CrossFit? And so it's like, well, they're really powerful because of that. Here's the reason we know that it wasn't because they were doing CrossFit. Because Philip doesn't tell you. Because anyone who does CrossFit always tells you. <laughs> That's just a shot at people who actually work out. It makes me feel better. It's an insecure moment. All right. The extraordinary power is the Holy Spirit. It is the power that raised Christ from the dead in Philip. Hearing and listening to God is all about you being in tune with the Holy Spirit, you being in communion with him. Now, I can just say that and like we move on. But that's easier said than done, is it not? Like it's difficult. How, how do you listen? How do you hear from God? Let me give you just three quick ideas right here. Letter A, be quiet. Be quiet. Here's a problem I have. I'm a talker. I like talking. And it's not much different in my prayer life. Often my prayer life is me doing a lot of talking. Constantly talking. I mean, it is hard for me to sit in silence. I don't know about you. Do you ever feel that pressure when you're driving in your car by yourself that something radio's got to be on? I got to have something. Um, I've got to call someone. Like, this is the time to talk. I, I feel that constant pressure in my prayer life that I've got to just talk, talk, talk. Parents in the room. You ever try to tell your kids something, but they're just talking? That's difficult. It's like, can you just stop? I, you don't get it out. Well, God is our Father I think oftentimes has more to say to us maybe than we do to him. So what does it look like to be quiet and go, Lord, this seems weird because I tend to talk most of the time with you, but I'm just going to listen. And then just sit and be quiet and see what might happen. See what he might put in your mind and in your heart. Well, let me ask you this. What in your life is stifling that? What is quenching that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 talks about quenching the spirit or stifling the spirit. And I don't have time to get into all the distractions, but in our culture specifically, I'll tell you one of, one of the biggest distractions, I think, to hearing from God. Busyness. It's like white noise consistently in the life of a believer is busyness. And in our culture, busyness has become a badge of honor to be worn. Like you go up to people and you're talking, and you're like, how are you doing? Oh, just busy. And it's like, oh, man, there's that. I mean, I did it today. I did it this morning. Somebody's like, man, you feeling good about the sermon? I'm like, no, I've been busy. I think our busyness is the white noise of our prayer life to hear from God. We need to stop every once in a while. We need to Letter B, be still. So be quiet. And then be still before the Lord. Cut the busyness out. Put some time in your life where you can sit before the Lord. And then 
Third idea under there, letter C, would be this. Be, be in the Word. So be quiet, be still, be in the Word. Too often we are waiting for a billboard from God. Like, God, I need to, if you could just put a billboard on the highway to tell me what to do, it would work out a lot better for me. But, but before there's ever a billboard, we, we have a whole book like, think of that. We're asking for a billboard moment from God, but yet we have a whole book, 66 books from God speaking to us. So I'll tell you one thing. How do you hear from the Lord? Read what he says. Get in his word. This book is rich. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. It's, it's all about teaching yourself the gospel over and over to yourself. Listen, the gospel is not the diving board into Christianity. The gospel is the deep end of the pool. Deep. My wife calls it gospeling herself. <laughs> like I'm going into this day, it's going to be difficult, whatever. I got to gospel myself. Getting deep into God's word. So be quiet, be still, be in the word. Philip listened to God. He heard from God. But what did Philip do with the message he received? Let's look back. Verse 27. Just going through this story. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to have to do some work there in a minute. An important official in charge of the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot. So go back to our one sentence. The gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power, which we know that to be the Holy Spirit, who listen, offer, proclaim, and suffer. So our four acts to spread the gospel. Number one was what? Listen. Okay, you were, this, all right. One was, listen. Okay, cool. That, this section's doing better. Over here, we're not sure what's going on. All right, number two is offer. Listen and then offer. Th- this is offering as an offering of yourself. This, the, the, it's the idea God has spoken and I am listening and now I am offering. Whatever. It takes to do what God has told me to spread the gospel. So if that means, Lord, you're calling me to go somewhere. This seems uncomfortable. There's a terrace there. You're calling me to share the gospel. This seems crazy. I'm saying that we kind of got to put our blank check or the blank signed contract on the table. And I love the way this reads. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, that seems interesting. I read a bunch of commentaries on this and dug on this. Like, why did he tell him to run, like, go to the chariot and stay near it? Most people say because the chariot was moving. Like, it wasn't like, run over to the chariot and kind of, like, be, like, creepy around. Like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Are you, like, who do I talk to? No, it was the chariot's going down the road. And so, go to the chariot, stay near it. And so how does Philip do that? Verse 30, he ran up to the chariot. This is offering yourself. 
Philip was willing to do whatever, whenever, however. I'll never forget when I was a freshman in college. It was February of my freshman year of college. I was in my dorm room. And I had been living for myself in a lot of ways. And I was in this crossroads of life of am I going to like live for Jesus or am I going to live for this other life that exists for me out there on this college scene? What, what am I going to do? And I felt God working in my life like I had never felt before. So I started listening a little. And it was in that moment for me that I made an offering to the Lord like I had never made before. I still remember I had an old HP printer that like, like took 17 minutes to print a page. And it was up on the shelf above me. I reached up and grabbed computer paper. I pulled it down. Blank piece of paper. And all I did was this. I signed my name to the bottom of the paper. And I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do above my name, I'm in. I am offering what I got, which ain't much, but it's me. If it means running down the street beside a chariot, a.k.a. in today's time, car. (laughs) Like, I guess so. Whatever, whenever, however, Lord, I'm in. My question for you is this, like, like, are you really willing Or are we just like doing American Christianity right now? Like I'm showing up, checking the card, did the Sunday thing, got a small group on Tuesday, it's pretty cool. Or is there like really a willingness to say I offer everything? And by the way, I did that, right, as a freshman in college. But I've had to go back to that every day. Because what I want to do is fill in the blanks above where my name is is signed. But I've got to be willing to do whatever, whenever, however. Willing to offer. So, Philip running up to the chariot to talk to this man. God tells Philip to go to this man and share the gospel. And the man he encounters is an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, i got to do a little bit of explaining here, okay? Every church I've ever been to that's ever preached this passage, they're always like, you know, ask Brian after the service about that, and we'll move on. I'm going to actually explain it right here. And you're like, well, there's kids in the room. They're mine. All right? So I'll, uh... Philip ministers to the Ethiopian, and the timing of him ministering this Ethiopian is really interesting. In this man's culture, the only way for a man who was not born into royalty to move up in society was to be castrated. That was culture. It it was the only way that they could be trusted. So in order to move up in this society, a man had to sacrifice any hope of a family in order to aspire to to these worldly dreams. And this was in an Ethiopian culture at that time period where family meant everything. So this, is, this obviously made this man, this eunuch, very lonely. 
And thus, he was on a journey to Jerusalem, and it says to seek to worship. This was a pilgrimage of sorts for this man. But, but here's the interesting idea here that scholars talk about. The eunuch would have been turned away at the temple. So what he was going to seek, he would have not gotten to do. Because he would have been considered not clean in that Jewish Jerusalem temple culture. He would not have been allowed into the temple. So now the Ethiopian eunuch is on his way back to his home country of Ethiopia. Where he serves in the palace. He, he was a treasure for the queen. So he finds himself, think about this, put yourself in the story. I don't know when you watch movies, what you do, but I put myself in it, try to realize what's happening, what's the emotions. He finds himself on the road returning home after not finding what he was looking for. Experiencing rejection. And imagine how he feels. Exasperated. And so here's Philip willing to give of himself in this very moment. Philip, who would have never in his old self been talking to this man who had been considered a Gentile. And yet here is Philip running, willing to give himself. When we listen to God and we give ourselves to the spreading of the gospel, listen to me, you never know the timing of who you might be talking to and what they have just gone through. Never forget, going back to college, there's a friend of mine, his name was Travis. Travis was, so ultimately I signed the bottom of the contract, if you will, and I began to live for the Lord in college and became the president of like a large Christian organization on my campus. So I'm large Christian organization president guy. And then over here is Travis. Travis is the guy that was there a party, how many people were there, was it wild and crazy, Travis made it happen at Clemson University. That's him. And then here's me. Now, you might make fun of me in this, but it was a sweet ride. I had a scooter in college. It got up to 36 miles per hour down one single hill. I can tell you the hill to this day. It was the only place it would get that fast. It was yellow, bright, highlighter yellow. And I drove that little scooter all around campus and me, me, <laughs> just beat my horn. Hey, how's everybody doing? And one day I'm leaving and this guy, Travis, who I knew, and he knew me, and we just knew that he lived a lifestyle and I lived a lifestyle, and it was completely different. But on this day, I can see he's running out, and he's late. And there I am on, me, me, right beside him. So I just look at him like, this is going to be awkward, but you need a ride? This thing's made for one, like one dude, okay? And, uh, and I'm the one dude on it. And he looks at me and says what I don't expect him to say. Yep. And I'm like... Oh, wow. So here we go across our campus. And you may not know a lot about Clemson University, but it's actually not an enormous school. Like, it's not near as big as, like, University of Georgia. I mean, Kennesaw State's larger. It's not that big of a school. Everybody kind of knows everybody to a certain extent. So here I am, president of a large Christian organization, driving across campus on my yellow scooter that everyone can see. And on the back of my scooter is the guy that puts on every party where police tend to show up all the time. And here we go across campus, right? I mean, like, everybody's looking at us. 
And I'm thinking, this is, this is interesting. Like, I wonder if they thought, like, I, so then, fast forward, I was just looked at it. I was like, hey, man, you ought to come to this thing later. And next thing I know, I'll fast forward the story quite a bit. A couple days later, he walks up to me and says, I need to talk to you. I was like, all right. He said, no, like for a long time. And if anybody knows me well, if you want to sit down and talk for a long time, then we should have barbecue. So we went to a barbecue restaurant that had a half rack of ribs and a baked potato and a sweet tea for $8.99. This was a while ago. And we sat down and we shared this half rack of ribs. And eating ribs and talking. And he just is going on and on and complaining about his lifestyle and all these things. Now, in this moment, I don't really know where he is. I, I just know he's far from Jesus. And I'm thinking, you know what? Now, I'm not saying that my, the way that I share the gospel is what you should ever do. Matter of fact, you probably never should. I looked at him and I said, you know what, man? I'm tired of hearing you're complaining. I'm tired of hearing about how awful your life is. Why don't you just stop living like an idiot and become a Christian right now? Now, don't go do that. But I, in that moment, had been listening to the Lord, was offering, and I felt like I was supposed to proclaim something to this guy, and I didn't do it in the most eloquent way ever. But here's what's crazy. You never know what someone's going through. You never know the moment that you're going to speak. You never know where you are in line of people who's speaking truth to them. And in that moment, he looked at me. And this, doesn't always, this does not happen to me, okay? I'm not that guy that's on an airplane and like, the whole plane came to Christ. Like, it doesn't happen for me, okay? Because y'all have heard those stories. I'm not that preacher. And he looks at me with tears in his eyes and he says, you're right. I want to become a Christian. Can I do that right now? I'm like, oh, snap. Like, uh, yeah, he's like, okay. Drops his head, starts praying out loud and confessing his sin in detail out loud in the barbecue restaurant. I'm thinking, people can hear this. Oh my gosh, you've done what? Like, and tears are flowing down his face and he's just confessing, confessing, confessing. He says, Jesus, I believe in you. I need you. Thank you for saving me. Bam, amen. And he looks up at me and he says, all right, can you teach me how to like live like a Christian now? I'm going, Yes. <laughs> And so we played video games together, and then I would teach him how to live like a Christian. And we played video games together, and I'd teach him how to live like a Christian. The timing for him in that moment, it was a divine appointment that God set up. And what I'm saying is this. You don't know when that divine appointment is. So just listen. Be willing to proclaim. Like, offer everything. By the way, Interesting. Travis is, so I discipled him. We played video games. I told him how to live like a Christian. Travis is now the head of discipleship for a small little church here in Atlanta called Perimeter Church for their student ministry. By the way, it's not a small little church. There's like a million people that go there. That's what he does. The Lord ordained it that we eat barbecue and I look at him and say, Stop what you're doing and be a Christian. You don't know when that moment is for you. But here's what I'll tell you. Four acts. Spread the gospel. Listen. Number two is what? Offer. Number three is you've got to proclaim. You actually have to speak the gospel. 
You have to speak truth. Now, let's finish this up. Look back at the story. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And here's, I want you to look what he asked him. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked him. So here's all I want to say about this quickly. You need something practical here on how we do this. Maybe it shouldn't be stop what you're doing, be a Christian. Maybe that's not the practical takeaway today. But here is what I'll say. Ask people good questions. Ask your friends good questions. Like you want to be an interesting person. I've heard people say it this way, and it's kind of cheesy, but it helps me remember it. helps me remember ask people good questions. Like interesting people are interested people. Ask good questions. Ask people where they are in life. Ask what's going on. Ask them how their family is and actually mean it and remember. So the next time you go back, you can talk to them. You know, it makes me think of a guy named Ryan. Ryan was a real estate agent and was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. Dustin, I'm going to share the gospel with people. I'm going to do it. How do I do it? I was like, well, what do you do every day? Well, I go to the grocery store every day. I was like, why do you go to the grocery store every day? He's like, because I'm single. And when you're single, you just go get what you need, you cook it, and then you go back again. I was like, gotcha. All right, so you go to the grocery store today. Do you know anyone's name at the grocery store? He's like, no. I'm like, learn their names. Ask them their names. So he goes to the grocery store. What does he do? Ask them their names. I'm like, he's like, all right, ask them their names. I was like, man, this is really step-by-step with you, buddy. And he's like, what do I do now? I was like, why don't you ask them how they're doing? What's their story? And he does that, and he comes back, he's like, man, everybody just talks about brokenness. I'm like, yeah, because that's the world we live in. So what do we do with brokenness? We proclaim truth. So he's like, okay. So he does this day after day at the grocery store. People begin to learn him, learn his name. He learns their stories. And he's, they come up to him and go, hey, you're the guy that, uh, like, prays for people here, right? He's like, yeah, yep, that's me. Y'all tell me, I ask you questions, you tell me stuff, I go pray for you. Cool. Hey, my mom's got cancer, and this is going on, and da-da-da-da-da. And they share it with him, and, they're, and this one girl's like, will you pray for me? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. She's like, no, like right now. So here they are, produce section, right? And he, he thought to himself, well, I'm not like a pastor. I don't know how to do this. I'm just a normal, ordinary person. What do I do? And he, this is what he said. He said, well, I've watched a lot of you pastors a lot of times, and here's what you do. Lean your head forward. You put your hand on their shoulder. He said, so I just leaned my head forward and I put my hand on his shoulder, on her shoulder and I prayed for her. Ryan ends up getting sick and ends up being hospitalized for almost 40 days. Doctors can figure out what was going on with him. And some hospitals, by the way, have great food. A lot of hospitals don't have great food. Ryan's in the hospital and this hospital necessarily have great food. Do you know in his 40 days that he spent there, he never ate a single meal from that hospital? You know why? Because every day, three meals a day, someone from the local grocery store came and said, hey, man, I got your lunch. Hey, man, I got your dinner. Hey, buddy, here's your breakfast. The grocery store bought a grill and put it out behind the grocery store because they knew he liked grilled food. So they grilled for him to take food to him came time for the staff Christmas party of this grocery store. Ryan gets an invitation. The staff Christmas party. And he's like, what? why in the world would you invite me to this? And they're like, oh, because you're like our unofficial grocery store pastor. If we're going to see a move of God, we got to have a lot more unofficial grocery store pastors. We don't, we, 
we've relegated the mission of God to people like Billy. But that mission is yours and mine, to listen to God, to offer what we have, and to proclaim the truth. But how do you get to the point in the conversation where you talk about Jesus? Ask questions, listen well, and see where the doors may present themselves. So Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Pick up verse 31. We're almost done here. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? Hello, opportunity. So he invited Philip to come up and what? Sit with him. Now that's interesting. Go to the Gospels. Everybody remember, like Presbyterians, Methodists, they love this miracle. Jesus turned the water into what? Wine. Baptists, a little weird about it, all right? But Jesus turned water into wine. Now, I got a deep, deep question for you. Why was Jesus at the wedding? John 2, verse 2, you don't have to go there. It says, Jesus also was invited to the wedding. Deep, right? Why was he there? Because he was invited. Why would he be invited? He's trusted. He's in the community. He knows people. They know him. And then Philip, in a short time, built trust to be invited to sit with this man. So are you building relationships with people that have the strength that they are inviting you into their home? Not just you being and practicing biblical hospitality, inviting them into yours, but is there enough there to where they're inviting you to sit with them? Look back at our one sentence. If we're going to be those ordinary people with extraordinary power spreading the gospel, then we must listen, give, and proclaim. And you may have to suffer. So here sits Jewish Philip with this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading Isaiah 53 as God would have it in his timing. Verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a slam before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The Ethiopian is reading from the prophecy of Isaiah 53, which is the most detailed and most complete prophecy ever about who? Jesus if we are listening to the Holy Spirit, willing to give ourselves to spread the gospel, God tends to create these divine appointments for you to speak, to proclaim about Jesus and the hope that he brings to brokenness. So verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Conversation is going pretty good. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him what? the good news about Jesus. It does not say that he gave him his opinion. It does not say that he gave him advice. It doesn't say that he told him seven ways to a better life. No, he announced the gospel. Good news. An announcement of hope. He tells him what you were searching for in Jerusalem. What you were searching to worship, that is Jesus. With everything that has failed you, Jesus can be your identity, your worth, your value, 
your purpose, your hope. So verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? FYI, commercial for next week. If you haven't been baptized, we're doing that next week. Ethiopian eunuch does it here. Maybe next week it's for you. And he gave orders, Ethiopian eunuch did, to stop the chariot. Now, really quickly, he gave orders to stop the chariot. So what does that mean? There's other people there. He would have been with an entourage. So the whole time that Philip's sharing the gospel with him, the whole entourage is hearing it. And where are they going? Back to Africa. With what? The gospel. They've heard it as well. Now, not only have they heard it, they're seeing the gospel displayed through baptism. One of the greatest pictures we can ever see of the gospel being displayed. God's pretty good. Like, he's got this whole thing rigged. It's rigged. I love it. Then both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly, now this is pretty cool, hoping for this moment, suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. He teleported. No, really, that's kind of what happened. But went on his way rejoicing. And in verse 40, Philip, however, appeared. Then it goes on and says, you traveled about preaching the gospel. This man, this eunuch, had traveled 1,200 miles to find God. To find purpose. To find something to worship. To find worth. To find identity. To find hope. He was seeking. But in the end, he didn't find it. God found him. And I love this. Before there was ever a European one to Christ, the gospel was spreading through the continent of Africa. I don't know if you know it or not, but there are more Christians in Africa today than there are people in the United States. This was the first ever Gentile convert in the scriptures. By the way, it was prophesied in the Old Testament in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 10. Look it up later. It literally talks about the gospel going to Ethiopia. Look, the gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power who offer, listen, offer, proclaim, who listen, offer, proclaim, and suffer. And that has been what our Father has been doing for a very long time. He goes to work every day. And He is inviting you and me, us, to go to work with Him pressure's off. And, and, and I wasn't necessarily going to do this, but I, I'm already over my time. It doesn't matter. So I'm just going to do it. I want you to see how this has worked since then till now. The year 42, Mark goes to Egypt. And then in the year 49, Paul, who was Saul, who'd been converted from being a terrorist to being a follower of Christ, goes to Turkey. And in the year 51, Paul then heads to Greece. In the year 52, Thomas then goes to India. So now we're seeing the first missionaries show up in Asia. In the year 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In the year 280, there are reports of rural churches in northern Italy. And then by the year 350, 31.7 million people in the Roman Empire claimed Jesus as Lord. 
That's a pretty good move from 12 people, 12 faithful, ordinary people to 31.7 million. And in the year 432, a man by the name of Patrick goes to Ireland as a missionary. Don't know if you know that or not. Patrick was not Irish. He went there to proclaim the gospel after wrongfully being arrested years before. He mentored a thousand pastors and planted 800 churches. We wear green and pinch one another in celebration for some reason. In the year 596, Gregory the Great sends Augustine to what is now England to reintroduce the gospel. Within a year, they baptized 10,000. In the year 635, first missionaries are reported to China. In the year 740, missionaries reach Iceland. Year 900, missionaries reach Norway. And by the year 1200, the Bible then had been translated into 22 different languages. And I think you know this one. And then in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean. This is the participation point. Sailed the ocean blue. He sailed and sailed and sailed and sailed to find a land for me and you. Okay. And then we know he found the Bahamas. But nonetheless, with it, he in that boat brought the Holy Scriptures. And then in the year 1537, Pope Paul III says to, to introduce those in New York to Jesus by, to quote, preaching of the divine word and example of a good life. And then in 1772, a guy by the name of Daniel Marshall starts what is known as Kyoki Baptist Church in Georgia. It's our oldest church in the state. I've preached there. And then in August of 2018, a ragtag group of people decide to start a small little church called City Church in Alpharetta. In October of 2019, a little over a year later, we still exist. For what? To go to work with our dad. Because he's been at work for a long time, doing something really incredible. And the work we are called to continue. Because the gospel spreads through ordinary people with extraordinary power who listen, offer, proclaim, and suffer. So, pick up the hammer. Let's go to work with our dad.